and then you know the the, the fact that it's a battlefield you know the internet was uh, given to the yeah you know the global public by darpa you know by darpa and uh the pentagon and uh it looks like uh, from stuff i've been reading recently that they've taken it back they basically repoted without telling anybody uh, um uh that you know that uh, because it's a battlefield and they're up against the russians who are you know hacking all of our fortune 500 companies you know all that kind of thing yeah, that, yeah. all this espionage going on that it's now become the battlefield instead of uh you know from the air of putting boots on the ground the real battlefield is the internet we're going through something absolutely historic technologies across the board are growing exponentially it's a disruption that's going to completely redefine the way businesses compete. In the next decade, we're going to lose 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies. The exponential growth of computing is continuing. AI is nowhere near its full potential. Whether you like it or not, that the future cannot be stopped by anyone. So welcome back to another episode of Future Tech and Foresight. As always, I'm Mark Verbenkov. Uh, so I've been noticing that with the advent of ChatGPT and kind of the start of a new AI arms race, uh, many futurists, philosophers, and I guess just general tech enthusiasts are starting to really think about where all this uh, technology, specifically artificial intelligence, is going to lead us. So I've been hearing claims that uh, AI will, of course, you know, bring about our doom, but many voices are also saying that it might bring about a new renaissance. While there are many others that are starting to think that this is truly the beginning of the technological singularity. So the singularity is an idea that I've discussed only a few times on the podcast, but as technologies that are talked about on the podcast like AI, BCI, AR, fusion, genetic manipulation, and many others seem to almost have daily breakthroughs, maybe it's a bit more realistic than some critics claim. So my guest today and I, uh, John Hopkins, uh, discuss not only what the singularity may actually look like, but also some of the benefits and, of course, the concerns that we may experience on the way towards it, but also when we are in the center of it. So John Hopkins is a philosopher, poet, and freelance journalist. His work has appeared in publications around the world, including Rumpus, Cordite, Morningstar, The Australian, etc., he is a regular contributor to Counterpunch magazine, a site dedicated towards progressive politics, culture, and the arts. His current research deals with the future of human consciousness in the age of AI, and in addition, he is also working on a novel. So this is the first uh, podcast episode that is focused almost entirely to the singularity. I hope that some of the ideas are as provocative as they were for me. And if you have any questions or any comments, as per usual, just get in touch uh, with John or myself. Uh, all the information will be in the show notes of this episode. Well, great, John. Thanks for coming on to the podcast today to talk a little bit about the singularity, uh, DARPA's sticky fingers, um, and kind of technology in general and where we're going. I think it's going to be uh, quite an interesting conversation. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, so... One of the ways that I like to start most of the interviews is to kind of get a little bit of a sense of who the the guest is, right, for, for the audience's interest. Um, as I mentioned before, I'll have the kind of pre-recorded profile bio uh, done beforehand. But what initially got you interested in technology uh, kind of as a whole, as a, as a topic? Right. Well, it goes, it goes back quite a ways. Uh, 
believe it or not, it comes from existentialism and my my studies as a you know in philosophy that was my major at the university undergrad, um, and I went on from there to uh, I double majored in, in in philosophy and literature, and I could have gone you know for literature, but I decided I really had a there was something about philosophy that got me, and then what was getting me was uh, the philosophy of science. I was really hooked on that, and um, uh, so I, I get into phenomenology. I went from existentialism to phenomenology, and the, the whole idea of uh, you know how we relate as cells to others in the world, you know that everything outside our bodies is another, mm-hmm. supposedly. Um, so that got me interested. So I ended up going to uh, you know RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York, of all places, um, and um, and you know studying uh, the philosophy of science here. That was my my major. You know would have been a major. It would have been a master's in science mm-hmm. uh, philosophy uh, degree and. Uh, uh, so that that was the initial thing was that I just wanted to get into you know Thomas Kuhn's you know the structures of uh, you know paradigms you know paradigm shifting and yep. that, that kind of how we you know how we enter these phases and like I think we're in now we're in a paradigm shift right yeah. in the middle of it we don't even yeah. you know uh, so I've always been interested in, in technology that way and then much later after like a series of years teaching English overseas uh, in schools I um, I switched over to uh, becoming a, a Microsoft certified systems engineer so i got the mcse that i taught that for a while as mct and you know training people that kind of stuff and so i really i get into the electronics the the ones and zeros the offs and ons of how electricity is manipulated hmm. uh, from one part of the world to another you know like we're doing right now yeah it's just manipulations of electricity really what we're doing so uh, so that really interests me from that point of view because uh you know it's magic almost you know i mean obviously yeah. it's technology <laughs> but to, to think that you can you could uh, put wiring all across the world, copper wiring, all around the world, and we could communicate uh, by a series of what basically is like Morse coding um, to each other. That we can get pictures, we get sound, and we get text that we can read and at the speed of light is kind of miraculous. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. blows the mind when you think about it. Uh, so I, I was always interested from that angle, you know, from the, just from the the engineering of it and the. Um, um, and how it might relate to consciousness and how it might relate to our sense of being in the world that kind of thing and i just you know developed it from there hmm. interesting well moving maybe from uh morse code ones and zeros uh to yeah. maybe the more kind of advanced or at least the most latest advanced technology that's out there now uh chat gpt uh i think i'm going to start asking most of my guests like what's your sense of it have you used it uh, just just briefly quickly like um do you find it useful? Or do you find it kind of too vague and uh, kind of when it summarizes text, text, it's maybe not so useful? Just kind of what's your your general sense on ChatGPT? Right. Well, it's it's kind of useful from a journalistic point of view. Often, you know, I've been like a lot of us probably use well rely on Googling things. Yeah. Um, and so you get a, an array of possible answers you have to look into. You might get a whole page of possibilities i think where if you direct the answer or you direct a question properly at the gpt you know the time that it comes back with a, a useful answer is very quick and yeah. uh, you can see how someone could get hooked on it you know that they could really sort of <laughs> uh so it's you know something like that that needs to be paid attention to but i find it useful i, I like it I like some of the answers that are you know the, i was just scrolling around the other day looking for you know things that are local you know that you wouldn't think and even google would have and it's it, it came up with things you know 
Okay, so moving from chat GPT to kind of what's going on, uh, I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, right? This current AI arms race that we're experiencing, yeah. uh, or at least observing, right? Uh, Microsoft, Google, OpenAI, et cetera. Um, so you wrote uh, a couple of articles that touched on and one specifically went into how this is potentially the beginning of the technological singularity, or at least it's one element of the technological singularity. I've yeah. talked to, I've talked about this much earlier on in the podcast, but for those uh, listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with the term, can you kind of define it? And then I think the, the conversation can flow in, into, into that. Well, you know, the technological singularity just refers to the really essentially the merging of uh, human consciousness with machine learning, you know, machine thinking. Um, and uh, the sort of right now we're thinking as two separate things, humans versus and, and machines, and somehow we're going to bring them together. So we have augmentations. But mm -hmm. so the singularity just refers to us merging our resources together. You could think of it as I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, you could think that the, the idea would be like, we could, we could, with augmentation in the future, carry around like in a bicycle helmet kind of situation, the Alexandrian library say, mm -hmm. you know, and, and like everywhere we go, the information would be available to us immediately because we're merging of human and machines. That's really the simplest way of putting it. Mm -hmm. And what each brings to the table, humans bring what, what, what we bring to the, you know, what we bring to being is bios is consciousness. That's what makes us a lot different than any other living being, you know, other creatures out there, trees or other kinds of forms of animals is that we have consciousness and with that consciousness brings language and with that language brings the negotiation of reality mm. um, and that kind of thing. So we can build, you know, cathedrals and schools and laboratories to all these kinds of things uh, that we don't see elsewhere in nature uh, because we're special beings that way, at least. And, um, and machines bring a kind of logic and uh, non-emotional, you know, the devoid of the kinds of things that distract humans, which is usually emotions and, and sensory data. You know, for one, one thing we have over machines is we have five senses. Um, and we, we're tactile, you know, we actually, we live in the world, uh, uh, affected by, you know, the environment directly, you know, because of our skin our you know, everything that comes at us, whereas that's not the case with the machine, you know, that they're, they're sort of always, it's more of a logical understanding of, of, uh, information and, uh, the singularity could bring them both together. You can imagine a system where we get really used to having this bicycle helmet type device or, or having some kind of uh, BCI that's you know implanted in us, uh, so that we become really we couldn't do without it. You know we really need to have it. Not just in situations that I described with the synchron, where you know there's you know, paraplegic uh, can actually just think mm -hmm. uh, and and do some browsing on the internet just by thinking. You know which is amazing. But um, but you can imagine a situation where it doesn't describe that in the uh, the demonstration they give. But you can imagine there'd be another paraplegic at the other end of the world. Uh, not just browsing, you know, not just a single uh, uh, person browsing and doing his shopping and uh, sending emails and all that, but also communicating with you, know, with you, you know, you and I communicating not by talking, but actually just by thinking, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's no reason why you couldn't do that if you can get a sensor that can read information off the brain directly uh, and then translate it to a computer so the computer understands it, then and you can do your browsing, then you're already connecting with the internet. So there's no reason why you couldn't send your thoughts across the internet to someone else who's either paraplegic or not paraplegic. It doesn't, you know, it's just a case of brain to brain. Mm -hmm. I find that, you know, that's the future. That's the kind of thing that uh, Elon Musk was talking about uh, I don't know, a few months ago. And the same, the, the person who 
is the CEO of St. Croix was talking about a kind of telepathy. I don't want to use the word direct telepathy. It's a kind of telepathy because we, you know, it's a, the, uh, there's a, there is the uh, the machinery in between, you know, that, that yeah. uh, it's translating for us. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think that, so, so I, I'm, I'm quite familiar with these concepts and ideas, right? But I think that maybe somebody listening might think that this is, what's a good word ridiculous right uh you know fantastical right almost almost unbelievable um but uh you you have written on a couple of the technologies i mean you mentioned like synchron neuralink uh bci devices that i've covered on the podcast before can you maybe make it a little bit more tangible about how we could get there or the the technologies i guess that would enable such a singularity um, well, I think uh, part of it's going to be psychological in the sense that you know, we're all we're all familiar with the, the you know the idea of a hive mind, and you know the, we're becoming more and more uh, most of us at least in the West, well in Asia as well, becoming more and more dependent on this idea of a hive mind, which is to say the centralization of information on the internet. The internet's a kind of a hive mind, um, and the more dependent we become, uh, the more centralized it becomes, the more we. Um, We'll actually sort of be logging in to ourselves every morning, you know, and mm. you can see a point where, you know, you can see a point where there's uh, all of this massive fusion databasing going on where, you know, like all kinds of information about each one of us is going on. Uh, like Edward, Edward Snowden uh, kind of warned us about that, you know, we all have a permanent record. That's the name mm. of his memoir. Um, and there are fusion databases out there that have dossiers in each one of us. And so our personal information is there, but also everybody else's. And, you could see a situation where um, we're locked into that machinery. You know that the. Uh, uh, did you see the movie The Social Dilemma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So that yeah. kind of situation where these engineers and ethicists from these platforms are, are worried. You know, they're really openly worried that there's something going on with the whole process that they lost control of. You know, they don't. Yeah. There's the things they don't really even understand. And there's that kind of thing going on already. And that was like what two or three years ago that movie. And it's, uh, so the it's it's just that um, you know the, the, you take the synchron thing the the BCIs are going to become prevalent you know the people are going to be wanting to wear them as enhancements and once they they have them as enhancement they're not going to want to let go because the the quality and, and the information that they receive is going to do, you know enhance their brain work you know what you know what they want to do like if there are things I want to do I'd love to you know write a symphony for instance you know and I don't it's a time thing it's a you know sort of working out thing but if I could have a uh an ai you know some kind of artificial intelligence app that allows me to uh, uh understand the you know the steps involved in and in creating i mean taking say my humming of my harmonies you know my melodies and that kind of thing and transferring them to notation and also the orchestration you know I, I mean i would never want to let go of that you know if i could because that would make me mozart in you know, about 30 seconds you know that kind of sure, thing you know, sure sure well, enhancer yeah yeah, well, I was just I was just going to add on. It's it's very similar to how we live with uh, smartphones nowadays, right? Like, imagine living in the modern world without with only like a flip phone. I think I actually know one person that's doing it. I, I don't know how, but uh, yeah. you know, everybody we're so locked into our technologies because of their augmentation potential and and what yeah. we're able to do with it. Um, much more compared to what we're able to to do without it. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the big controversy has been. Uh, around plagiarism and and uh, AI's writing papers for us, you know, that kind of thing, writing for students. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've read, there's a, uh, uh, 
read a book recently. I reviewed a book recently where um, exo it was called Exoanthropology. Okay. Uh, and basically, it's this philosopher from North Carolina just uh, put together a bunch of dialogues that he had with his uh, his trained uh, GBT. And he trained it to be a philosopher itself. Hmm. And they went through a you know, through a Socratic dialectic kind of thing. And um, it was making the argument that the AI was making the argument that um, it was a good thing. And he was making the you know, devil's advocate for writing papers was that it would actually teach students how to uh, go through the process properly. Um, and uh, it didn't think it was as much of a war as people were making. And, I, you know, it, you know, it's good. That It's the kind of thing that makes you, you know, make you think about it. Um, maybe it is a good idea. You know, maybe it's okay. Um, yeah, the, uh, 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 yeah. I, I, was, I was just going to add the one thing that I've really kind of zoned in on with, uh, with chat GPT, especially, right? Because that's what everybody's talking about nowadays. Uh, that's yeah. a positive benefit that might actually come about is the, the GPT-4 has a significant nuance to its responses, right? So yes, of course, there's still bias in the in the training model and it gives certain biased answers, but that's getting better. But the, the beauty of it is if you ask for, you know, whatever kind of example you want, it can give you both the pros and cons, but it can also give you different perspectives. Whereas, yeah. right, whereas right now, you know, we're kind of in these filter bubbles through Google and through social media where everybody's kind of locked into their paradigm constantly being fed the information that is you know more likely to get them to stay on the apps um and not so much being given uh, information that's maybe contrary to their perspective but hopefully right with chat gpt and these new emerging ais the responses that we're able to get are they have this nuance to it that might bring about a you know, uh, a, a new way of, or how should, not a new, but like a, a reemergence of the way that people used to think it was, you know, it was not just one specific way, but there was, you know, a grayscale of, di of different ideas. So yeah. I just, I just want to infuse a little bit of positivity with this AI as well. Uh, it's not all mm -hmm. doom and gloom, although there's, you know, significant issues that we should be thinking about. No, I think that's a, that's a fair point. And I I'm totally with you. And probably feel similar about uh, the uh, positivistic aspect. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm totally for lots of it. My only control, my only uh, problem has always been, you know, like everything else is who's controlling all of yeah. this stuff, you know, who controls the factory, the the means of production and all of that. And I worry that so much of what we're doing is privatized when there's so much of this that's has a uh, public uh, uh, interest and public um, uh, and ramifications that mm -hmm. should be under some kind of control, you know, because, you know, we have people going around creating uh, robots and artificial intelligence that could potentially harm humans in a great way. And But also, as you're pointing out, you know, it could uh, bring about a revolution in our thinking. You know, it could actually, it could, you know, it could, it could help enhance not just our thought processes, but the way we see reality itself, you know. And, mm -hmm. But I don't have any problem with that. I, I've already, you know, you read stuff like um, one great thing, I mean, if you hate racism, uh, when you read things like uh, you know, some of the stuff they're coming up with with um, AI enhanced uh, uh, CRISPR uh, techniques, you know they're talking about you know changing skins and stuff like that. You know, yeah. in a fantasy world, I could see how great it would be if we all had green skins and it was photosynthetic and you know you know crazy stuff like that. But uh, you know, we get rid of a lot of racism, right? Just like that, it could help us to sort of get over that kind of thing. And I hope, but uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, th that's a whole other uh, discussion. I think the the biotech revolution, but I guess that's also part of this singularity idea, right? There's all this this tremendous technology that's coming about, and we're in a, yeah. in essence becoming infused uh, infused with it, as you described before. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing about the singularity, the, this merging of machine and man, mm -hmm. which is the simplest way of looking at it and seeing the man as a computer, as the machine as a computer is rather than just seeing it as a sort of, you know, printer in your own. But um, the other thing is that that needs to be worried about. The reason why a lot of there's a pause, a cause for a pause right now is that, uh, um, you know, we've got the quantum computing coming up and that's going to exponentially speed up mm -hmm. the way information, you know, how much information is processed and when information uh, we're going through a lot of cryptology stuff. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, that uh, maybe you and I are interested in, you know, but, the, you know, the great masses aren't, you know, they're sort of interested in the stuff they're interested in. Yeah. We're always talking intellectually. Uh, this is a problem I always had as an undergrad. Uh, when you hear people talk about Marxism, you know, there's all these leaders as undergrads who are going on and on and on, you know, uh, Trotsky this. And, yeah. But um, uh, but the great, the masses, you know, they're basically it's passed down to them. And, you know, you don't want to, if we really want to have a real honest democracy where people have some kind of sense of equity and, you know, um, say in the process, and we don't want to just leave them with the Twitter account only, uh, but, you know, where they actually have what they have matters. And we have to figure out some way uh, that we don't just create an, an intellectual elite that understands the process, you know, at the, the quantum level and, the speed of light and all of the stuff and it leaves everybody else behind with just sort of products to buy you know and uh, yeah. that's the, the fear i have is that we might might uh, start leaving people behind and it'd be impossible to sort of catch up after a while you know yeah 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 well we that, that, yeah go ahead i'm sorry no I, I was just i was just gonna completely agree with you i mean this is also something that we've been seeing maybe as a trend right the um the rates of difference between you know the the ceos over the past i think 40 or 50 years have been a couple of studies right the the amount of money that they're making compared to the growth in the or the increase in the average uh man's wage average woman's wage is is you know substantially different so the the schism between the haves and the have-nots and even those that have little or, or just have a bit uh is is growing significantly and you know, you've been you've been touching on you know um, BCI technology, AI technology, et cetera, and I think that these sorts of things, not to touch on CRISPR and the potential of designer babies, right? These are all technologies that could lead to I don't know the right term, but some sort of super elite that we can't even imagine compared to to the to the previous you know eons of of human history. So yeah, mm. this this discussion of you know fair and equitable future, I think, is something that uh, needs to be discussed considerably. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. The ethics, the whole whole area of ethics has been left out, you know, because of, I think, because of the, uh, uh, because of capitalism and capitalism's uh, sort of desire to privatize everything, keep it out of government hands and so that people can, you know, sort of compete with each other and let the, let the market uh, determine what happens. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, again, when it's products that have to do with uh, human beings, and there's a huge public interest in understanding how some of the stuff works, it probably is a good idea to, you know, I I, I would get the UN if the UN were functional uh, involved in this, you know, and, and let them, because you know, at least you have a form that's already created, uh, but they don't have any real wings at the moment. You know, it's really the security, the uh, security uh, council and 
and everybody else, you know, and yeah, and yeah. That. But it's a huge public, huge public uh, interest and uh, um, ramification that has to be addressed uh, before it's too late. And um, I just don't see a lot of ethical thinking going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will catch on. Well, hopefully, I mean, this is part of the hope of the podcast, right? The more people can yeah. get engaged and and uh, confronted or exposed to some of these ideas out there, I'm similar with uh, with uh, the articles that you write. Um, one of the things that, that's coming to me now that you actually wrote, I think, in one of your first articles, one of the first couple of sentences was um, you posed this question of will we even notice it, right? So we are taught, you're specifically talking about all these, you know, phenomenal advances in technology um, that are happening now that are coming about. But I think the question is, will we as a species fully understand that we are in a singularity when it, when it comes about, or will it just be kind of, you know, okay, well, there's new technology coming about and we're going about our days as usual, right? Like you could imagine the days before the internet, I'm old enough to have experienced a little bit of time before the internet was, you know, fully around. Um, but now internet's just this ubiquitous technology that's everywhere. It's it's reshaped the world, but I don't know if we really consider it as uh, a monumental technology in the sense that like we sense it every single day. Uh, so my, my question to you is, and I guess you pose this in your article is, will we even notice that the singularity is here? Or is it that just that the the constant churn of technology is just something that we've now become so accustomed to? Right. Well, that's, it would take in order to be aware of it, you'd have to be you'd have to sort of maybe shift your thinking slightly to understand the internet is not just a connection. You know, it's a kind of consciousness itself. You know, it's a global mm-hmm. consciousness that's supposed to be. And one of the great things about it, you know, that uh, Tim Berners Lee was hoping for was a community of of minds. You know, that could share information quickly. Um, and you know, if we get through, get rid of some of the problems we're having right now, like that's very trashy in some ways with lots of you know ads and uh, the platforms absorbing from us information that, about our desires, and and then you know the, the the fact that it's a battlefield. You know, the internet was uh, given to the yeah you know the global public by DARPA, you know, by DARPA and uh, the Pentagon, and uh, it looks like uh, from stuff I've been reading recently that they've taken it back. They basically repoed it without telling anybody uh, um, uh, that you know that uh, because it's a battlefield and they're up against the Russians who are you know hacking all of our Fortune 500 companies, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah, that, yeah. All this espionage going on that it's now become the battlefield instead of uh, you know from the air or putting boots on the ground. The real battlefield is the internet. Well, the problem with that is that uh, that means they need to. Um, you know, they need to collect information from us for military purposes, while at the same time, the platforms are collecting information for us commercial purposes. And, and you know, we're giving all this data out uh, about us, uh, and it's being stored and processed and manipulated by forces there that are not, you know, they're not only not informing us, but they're not, uh, they may not even understand it fully. I think that's where the social dilemma comes in, you know, with mm-hmm. the idea that uh, the stuff is going on and we're sort of being controlled. We are the product, I think is the way they put it. Uh, we're not buying a product. We are the product, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, um, and that's the way it would sneak in. There's just that we become totally dependent on this centralized brain that's called the internet. Um, and uh, to the degree that we have to be on it in order to function, you know, actually, we wouldn't even be able to function off-grid. Um, and uh, 
And and then when you bring in the enhancements of AI, you know, uh, it deepens that that, that uh, relationship of dependency. And then again, once once we uh, bring in quantum computing, and it, uh, you know, we could end up speaking like rap, duck rabbits or something with you know the auction English speed, you know, and yeah. uh, the kind of thing. It, it just you know it can get ridiculous to keep up. It can you know that you could be totally dependent in the sense that you don't have any any choice but to continue. Um, going on and on and uh um and you just wouldn't know it you know it's just like even now like uh some of us are realizing that the search engines don't work the way they did 10 years ago they're, they're different uh, the spell checkers are using for things like google docs or not at all like the the spell checkers we had on on simple models uh on word processes when they first came out about 20 30 years ago um uh, you know they're not as you can't really rely on them i find myself checking that spell checker and make sure it didn't screw up uh, you know what is what I've been writing because it's just it's programmed differently and it's not picking up on uh, you know things you that we expect. It doesn't ask you is this what you mean anymore. You know at least right. mine doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and so the the idea that it could creep in and not really be understood in time for us to do something about it is a problem. Uh, I was reading most recently uh, the Age of AI, uh, a book with Henry Kissinger and Eric Schmidt wrote. Um, and uh, one of the things they bring up is three good examples. One is uh, uh, a chess master machine that uh, that they use an AI that just beat, uh, it, you know, it's unbeatable. You know, it's totally unbeatable, uh, and it, it can come up with uh, and it can fathom your thinking, uh, you know, within minutes. You know, like it's it's totally press. Uh, previous like chess uh, chess uh, computers have been you know programmed with every you know Gary Kasparov's all yep. of these great chess masters. All of the moves that we put into this database that the computer can draw off, but this one actually learns as it goes. You know, it's self-learning, and it has moves that are uh, not predictable. You know, like you would, they just go mm. to counter against what all chess masters have done before, and, and nobody can beat it. You know, so uh, mm. uh, there's that kind of problem: is that these machines could become so smart, so uh, effective in their thinking. Uh, you know they get all smarter. Some people are afraid. You know the the real you know the dystopian aspect of the, the end of it is that they'll you know start a world war to end this year or something, and um and uh, and we wouldn't even know it would be you know that would start these triggers that then we could stop because it's right. not probably by humans. Uh, but at the other end, you know, it's uh, you know I could see how. Uh, to me, the real dystopian part of it would be, but not necessarily dystopian, but you know, it could be positive if, if we can get some control over it is if we became, you know, the gloves of the machines. In other words, what if we became enslaved to the machines in the sense that we, you know, like we said, machines don't have senses. They don't have the five senses that we have. That's what we process and what makes us different. But what if we became their kind of slaves that they could, because they can read the chemistry, the chemical uh codes of our brain um so every time I, if i pinch myself that's going to create some kind of uh, processing in my brain if they can read that processing uh then they can read my pain they can read how i feel about things they can read why i cry over a certain movie that kind of thing and you know we become their senses you know we become their five senses in a, in a way that could be dystopian you know if we if we uh, uh get enslaved to it but um it can also be freeing in another way. You know, it could it could be a true singularity where uh, we're like Superman. You know, we're like the Ubermensch you know, that mm -hmm. Nietzsche's uh, uh, frame of mind. And uh, 
Uh, we can, you know, I could, I see it's still in the balance. I don't think it's been decided yet, but it doesn't have to be everybody. It can be most people, you know. I mean, there, there's just it's an equality issue in some ways as well. Like for instance, when we talk about the internet, um, Africa's kind of left out of it. There's still still a lot of village life there. Um, and if you look at, you know, like where the wiring is, is you know, Africa as a continent has been, uh, is, is the least developed internet wise. Um, mm. and that could be a problem in terms of equity and resources, but also, uh, and you could fantasize that could leave them free to be off the grid and maybe, maybe Africans will, will rise up and, uh, save us, save our humanity. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thought for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I, I guess that's also, you know, like throughout history, there's always been these counter trends to whatever the dominant trend is, right? So whether it's Africa or, you know, even even pockets here in the West, uh, you know, yeah. there are people that go back to land and live off grid. So I'm sure that uh, even though even though maybe the majority, right, this is still so up in the air, right? We don't know if it'll it'll absolutely happen or if there will be, you know, counter trends that will essentially take over. Um, but if there are, if the main trend is, you know, human beings are being connected to AI and through BCI technology, it's kind of a direct integration into the mind. I'm sure that there are going to be groups of people across the world that are going to say, no, I don't want that. I want to remain, you know, fully human. Um, the only way I'll interact is, you know, through my thumb and my, and my cell phone screen, uh, or keyboards and my computer. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an, in, it's certainly an interesting idea to, to consider, uh, as the kind of exponential pace of technology continues uh, going yeah. forward. Um, may maybe we can switch gears here a little bit. Uh, in your in your uh, first article on the conversation, and I'll have all this uh, linked in the show notes, and then the other article that was kind of the secondary one, uh, you talked uh, quite a bit about uh, DARPA and kind of these, you know, negative aspects of... Uh, of the singularity, but also of these like really forward-looking emerging technologies that are coming out, and you know, the marketing or the advertisement, the the public push is maybe specifically for brain-computer interface. It's you know, it's great. It's going to help uh, paraplegic people uh, walk again. Uh, you know, people that are uh, maybe have a stroke they're able to speak again to the same level as they were uh, able to before. But then there's this like underlying reason or push for having this type of technology as well as many others for, uh, for, as you were mentioning, kind of the battleground or the new battlegrounds, the new age of, of war and warf warfare um, in general. Uh, so mm -hmm. maybe, maybe, I mean, that's kind of where I think the conversation would be really interesting to dive into, but maybe you can touch for people that haven't um, gotten too familiar with DARPA, uh, maybe just describe a little bit what DARPA is. And then, of course, like how, as you write in your article, and as we've talked about before, how it's spread out throughout the world through these different named organizations. Uh, for me as well, that's very interesting. I haven't I haven't uh, gone too deep on this yeah. topic yet. Well, it's the Advanced Research Project uh, Agency, and they have uh, yeah, defense. No, it's not defense, but... It's basically, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have seen James Bond movies and there's Q and, we, and he has all these gadgets. So it's a gadget building thing, you know, that enhances people, uh, that spies his uh, ability to get their job done properly. Now expanded into, you know, public domain. 
the great thing about uh, DARPA is, is you know, what the, re the reason why it's spreading around the world is this business model is uh, you've got the military, uh, which gets its money from uh, the public, you know, so the taxpayers pay what goes on in the Defense Department. The Defense Department then allocates some stuff to DARPA, you know, like they get a budget, a sub-budget. Then the, uh, the, what DARPA does is commit, they uh, partner up with uh, with academics. So they're going to go to various universities. The universities then partner up with uh, laboratories and facilities that will develop, you know, actually develop the product. Um, and then if there's further developing, then they partner as well. So it's just a kind of a partnership that limits the liability, limits the, you know, they, they really go after the, uh, the wildest possible inventions. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they, they're not worried about, because they don't spend a lot of money, uh, let's say they'll spend a million dollars on the internet. Uh, but if they develop it with a partner, the partner may have uh, program managers that are able to expand it commercially in ways that DARPA doesn't have the time or desire to expand. Um, and that's what happens, you know, like, for instance, take COVID-19, uh, DARPA was uh, big time in on that, you know, they're the big in terms of getting a solution. They, have, they had a thing called the Pandemic Prevention Program, P3, um, which uh, guaranteed or was, was hoping to, with their partners, to get a solution to any pandemic uh, that ever occurs um, within 60 days, have some kind of solution. And that, they did. They met their target, you know, so, because they got the fur in, in North America. They got the very first uh, antibodies of a survivor in Seattle, and they, they sent it to their place called Abcellera Lab in, uh, in Vancouver, um, who then uh, took the antibodies and, and and found candidates for it that they could be used for um, exploration. You know, they they basically came up with within sixty days monoclonal, you know, monoclonal mm, solution. Right, right, right. Um, and, you know, that turned out really to be the best solution. It's just that they didn't develop that. Now, what the business model did in that particular situation was it's great. They got this done. They got the monoclonal. That was the very, it was before the vaccine started rolling out. So they could, you know, they could actually go to frontline workers and, you know, give the nurses and doctors and stuff like that to help them before they got, you know, because they'd be working with people with viruses a lot. And that was perfect because it, you know, it was, it was forcing the body to create its own prevention system, you know, and that was, uh, for some reason, it hasn't been fully developed. They, they went with the vaccines, which are problematic. Um, for a lot of reasons, we don't have to. I don't want to sort of get into the vaccine. So what I meant, mostly it's more like, a, you don't know what the usual. There's a deluge of vaccines after they get rid of Trump. And a lot of the reason was that because they used the emergency user you know, authorization, which allowed all these big pharma companies not to worry about testing so much. You know, they could just put the stuff out there and we became the labs essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really the, the biggest uh, controversy, but, um, uh, but that's also part of the business model. It's because of that, you know, that's a kind of a darker thing to do. Just don't worry about the risks involved and we'll figure it out as oh. we go. Okay. Okay. And so the, let the, the vaccines go under an EUA, for instance, would be a darker kind of thing. You know, it would be a signal that, uh, um, you know, they're in partnership with these companies, but it's the business model that uh, people are attracted to. So like here in Australia, um, you know, just we're synchronized with the, the BCI that was being developed. Uh, you know, the government, the Australian government put some money in, uh, Defense Department put some money in, DARPA put some money in, it's a DARPA project. The whole mind, uh, the whole BCI is a, is a DARPA project right from the beginning. They just mm. went and found, pro they went and found the partners for it. Uh, and in this case, they went to Melbourne University. That was the, that was going to be their academic. That's like a Harvard of Australia. And then they uh, and they found you know Synchron. You know, so Synchron is sort of developing it and, and going to be distributing it. 
Um, and then, of course, right now it's in the middle. It just got through uh, getting approval from the FDA back in Washington for uh, uh, for human testing, you know, so mm -hmm. for the human testing. And so it's well on its way. And by doing that, they, they drew in big money from, uh, this is where it's important, is they, they drew in, uh, you know, capital from uh, Bill Gates and um, and Jeff Bezos jumped on board once they saw that he got approval from the FDA. Now they're going to put in big money to really fully develop it. Um, and that's the kind of partnerships they want because it doesn't involve a lot of save from the public. They, you know, they right. give the first million dollars. Say, but after that, it's like none of their business. You know, it's like they, all of this development goes on in the private sector and the returns aren't coming back to um, the taxpayer. You, you think they would be, but there should be probably some kind of thing where a certain percentage you know, bounces back to the public if it's really successful. Uh, but that's not what's happening. It's just that uh, it's, it's a great model. So you can go from country to country where minimum has to be put in from taxpayers from the particular country. Uh, but there's big benefits uh, for people within the government if it's successful. You know, minor, really minor stuff. If it's not, you know, it's hmm. it's a write-off, you know. But, uh, right. Um, so, but, uh, uh, so, sorry, just um, uh, for my own understanding, maybe for, for clarity for the for the audience, right? So Synchron is like a Neuralink competitor. They're, they're more or less doing the same thing. But uh, yeah. my, my question to you is why would uh, like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates um, be interested in funding uh, BCI technology? Uh, do, you have right. in, well, do you have insights into that? Like that, that to me is, is quite interesting. Well, I mean, they're both, they're, you know, they're both into the internet. So they're, they're internet companies and, mm -hmm. um, Microsoft, of course, is, is you know, part of the infrastructure of the internet as well. Um, so, and that is the future. You know, they can see that's the future. That you know, information is the future, mm. and its distribution uh, uh, is is you know what we're all going to be interested in. Um, you can see how, like, from a computing point of view, like Microsoft could build products. Like I said, like for instance, just to throw out an example, would be a helmet. It looks like a bicycle helmet. That's actually. Um, analyzing your signals from your brain, you know, taking the signals and, and then talking to, uh, you could, you could imagine just your, you can just use your, uh, you know, your cell phone, your cell phone is a computer, you know, it's a, it's a computer. There's no reason why wirelessly you couldn't just go for the bicycle helmet to your, you know, your computer's in your pocket or something. And you're, yeah. there you are, and you're talking on the internet and you're not even talking, you're thinking, you know, you're mm -hmm. thinking, um, and you could just be thinking, you know, read my email to me, you know, and, your email gets read to you, you know, and while you're bicycling or walking, whatever it is. Uh, and I can see how the, you know, those kinds of products would be big, huge money makers, you know, yeah. huge yeah. money makers. Yeah. One, and uh, you could, you know, you could buy products. I mean, it, potentially, you know, if this thing worked well, it wouldn't just be like textual stuff coming in your head, it wouldn't just be sound. It'd be, you'd have flashes of images. Like, let's say you wanted to buy stuff from Amazon. Uh, there's mm -hmm. no reason why you would have a flash or something you wanted to buy. You're just thinking of it. Let's say raincoat or something, and and uh, show me raincoat from uh, Amazon uh, you know, catalog or something. And then you have these flashes that are almost intuitive. You know that you wouldn't. Yeah. It's bizarre, but there they are. You know, um, it'd be like a dream you know, that just exploded in your head for a second, and then little flashes. Uh, and it's a just it's you know it's a brave new world. Really, it's just like uh, it's already here. Like I said, the the thing with the synchron is that um, a it's non-intrusive because if they put the uh, the stent road through a, a vein that goes across your brain. Um, oh, okay. It, it, you know, with the problem with Neuralink, it didn't pass the FDA mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, they get rejected by the FDA because it had uh, it sits right on the brain, you know, and yep. uh, it killed like fifteen hundred animals in, in the process of doing it. I guess that really turned off, yep. you know, the idea that it might do same similar things, well, they, but the human uh, really turned the FDA off. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, it would be money. Obviously, it'd be money because that's that's where they expand. But it's the idea of that uh, you know, if you could be expanding humans on every economic level, you know, you could you could find products that people from lower uh lower wealth uh, backgrounds would uh find interesting you know and uh enhancing and uh um you know why not you know why wouldn't you you know yeah yeah no no that that, that makes that makes perfect sense um uh I, I guess my mind would have immediately gone to maybe more darker reasons right so i had um I had uh, a guest uh, about a month ago. He was talking about these types of helmets, if you will, right? Like these these non-invasive uh, devices that you put on your head and you're able to uh, read not your not all of your thoughts, but certain brain signals, right? The the resolution's not very high, but you're you're able to get some sense of what's going on in your mind with these devices. And I think there was um, a use case in China where employees of the state say, I think there was like. Um, bus driver or metro driver or something like that where they were forced to use these types of devices and it was able to notice when they were not paying attention enough or distracted or on their cell phones or whatever and then they got docked pay or you know they were uh, in their midterm review or yearly review they were like ah well you weren't paying attention throughout all this so your raise wouldn't be wouldn't be that high but um, yeah. I, I, I guess there's that whole side of things as well, but uh, it yeah. makes it makes total sense that you know Microsoft or Amazon would be using this to to generate. It doesn't have to be revenue. dark. I mean, it probably would be dark uh, for a lot of people because you know those in charge are you know that want power and control. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there may be products where they continue, like you just pointed out, you know, come up with more data, even more data about uh, the you know lapses in your uh, concentration while you're driving, you know, whatever they define a lapse as. Yeah, and that could be a problem. That's definitely dystopian there, you know. But you could also see, uh, um, you know, to me, I, the example I have, which I love, is the Alexandrian Library kind of situation where you've just got all of this knowledge. It's it's essentially, it may not be stuff you read immediately, but it's stuff that when it comes to you in your head, you understand immediately. You know, it's <laughs> like yeah. let's say you want to learn French or something, you know, and I, I know I wouldn't mind learning French. Uh, um, instead of going through all of the trouble of, you know, doing the lessons where you build up the vocabulary and all that stuff, it just came to you, you know, it just yeah. all of a sudden, because of the integration with your brain, uh, it was already there, you know, it, it just, it just, you, you could speak French, you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah. there's that kind of possibility in the future that uh, the merging of the mind and this machine thinking and uh, once it becomes fully integrated could, could lead to a knowledge and understanding of things that uh, most people just, yeah, you know, they they wouldn't be interested in usually, but it's there. You know, it's it's yeah. there that be accessible at any time, and uh, uh, it's just so many different kinds of apps. You know, it's, it's all the bizarre stuff. Uh, just uh, seances and stuff like that. You know, really weird shit. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, no, that's uh, fine. Being, you know, it's being developed just so that uh, for novelty, I guess. But imagine having a conversation with your grandmother. You know, or, yeah, yeah, talking about the other side and that kind of thing, and you know. Uh, it's just it's a world changing thing. If you read uh, the, the second uh, uh, piece I wrote, there um, is actually an extension of the first piece. You know, mm-hmm. it was originally three thousand words. I, I sent it a conversation, but they cut it down to one thousand. But it was originally about three thousand words, and 
Uh, Sam Altman, of, uh, he's the CEO of, um, of OpenAI, uh, reckons that we're in a, a revolution period, revolutionary period that's bigger than agriculture, bigger than industrial, you know, and bigger even than just you know the internet by itself. That it's like bigger and maybe even you know it's how powerful it is, and uh, that it's really it's, it, it amounts to a change of who we are. You know, it's just. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the problem with it is you know most things are over time you know and like the industrial revolution might take 50 or 100 years to really be effect you know show, show its effects in terms of how it changes our lifestyles but this is like we're right in midstream and uh um you know then when these apps come pouring out you know all these different apps come pouring out from ai it, that can be overwhelming you know and yeah. uh if it's not some kind of reins aren't pulled on it uh, we may not really know what we're getting ourselves into, and uh, and and since the scientists themselves are saying they don't fully understand it themselves, you know, it probably isn't a bad idea to pause or slow yeah. it down a bit. Uh, and then, I, like I said, I'd go to the United Nations to make sure there's some kind of ethics set up for AIs and and, uh, and the people from other nations, are, you know, that are you know allowed to. Uh, um, provide information that might be useful to everybody and. Uh, I try to take away some of the stuff from the U.S. and you know the Five Eyes and um, the Mighty Whitey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's that's, uh, that's one of the things that I've I've spoken to other guests about, and uh, I've obviously had in my own uh, personal conversations is these differences in revolutions, right? Like I, I completely agree with you. The the current whether we kind of want to call it an AI revolution or or you know the the dawn of uh, the singularity, whatever whatever specific term is it fits best. Um, I think something for like the industrial revolution, it happened mm -hmm. over 50 years or a hundred years or however long. And even though the disruptions were massive, there was enough time for people to adapt to it. Whereas now yeah. it's happening too quickly. And even if, even if, and I don't think this is the case, but even if the disruptions were less than the industrial revolution, there's not enough time for people to adapt, right? So, um, you know, in the interim where we were supposed to speak, uh, have the discussion and, and we were actually having a discussion, I was playing with ChatGPT, looking at many of the new plugins because there's plugins being released pretty much daily. Um, yeah. And uh, like the capabilities that you're able to, to use ChatGPT with right now, uh, compared to like a week ago is already substantially more than than what I even was, uh, thought would be capable. Uh, one specific example that I thought was interesting, uh, you know, I like playing with the uh, Mid Journey, the uh, mm -hmm. text to image generation, and they now have a plugin where you don't need to necessarily understand how Mid Journey works perfectly, but you can use this plugin to generate photorealistic images, right? So mm -hmm. beforehand, there would be uh, you know specific type of prompts that you'd have to give Mid Journey. Uh, quite detailed in order to get a photorealistic image. Whereas now you can just plug in to this plugin, uh, write whatever it is that you want, and it would generate a photorealistic image, right? Whereas a week ago, you needed already a substantial amount of training or, or uh, understanding of how to use this in order to generate this kind of higher quality image. So already within a short amount of time, the new, um, I guess you could say, skills are already becoming obsolete. So if there's this compounding effect of just, you know, accelerated 
AI and general technological advancement, then, you know, even people like me that are trying to pay attention to this as much as possible, I could be very easily left in the dust, not to mention, you know, as you said, the greater masses out there who just aren't paying attention to this. Yeah, not paying attention, but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we're, we're similar in that, that we're both paying attention and we're still finding it hard to sort of keep up because it's, yeah. uh, you know, if it's, it's, if it's uh, wowing even the engineers who are sort of behind it, you know, then it's really something we should be pausing because it's it's life-changing and it's, it potentially changes everything. You know? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's no reason why we can't slow it down just so we understand it a little bit better. Yeah. You know, except for money, you know, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's always the issue. Um, I, I see that uh, So the, the time that we set is coming to a close. Um, maybe we can also touch a little bit specifically with your second uh, article that you wrote about how DARPA is, of course, getting involved in all of these uh, technological advancements, but maybe the reason behind why DARPA is doing that. So I alluded it, I alluded to it earlier about the, the general essence of a kind of a new era of warfare and a lot of the reasons that you know DARPA invests money in is for a strategic advantage in war um but mm. maybe maybe if I could just let you run with that uh, because I think some of those ideas are are really really interesting as well as scary. well I mean that, that is the, that is the reason what they give for uh, all of this preparation mm -hmm. for war it goes back to uh, you know Sputnik and they say and uh, never you know they were terrified that the Russians had the, the satellite up there that could show where their ICBMs were and, and, you know, have an advantage in case of war uh, erupted and all that kind of thing. So they built the internet as a response to that as an emergency communication system that hooked up academics and the uh, military, uh, you know, very rudimentary thing if you look at the original schematic. Uh, um, and that's the same the same thing now. Like, for instance, the, the original idea for the BCI coming from DARPA was uh, sort of get into the heads of generals over there, you know, and the uh, it's it's, a, it's really sort of creepy in a way, and they're they're always their motivation is to is is a, has a war purpose. Uh, you take for instance, uh, you know, it's it's built into uh, you know, National Academy of Science Engineers and Mathematicians, a big agency that combines all of these scientists. Um, put down put out a a foundational paper a framework uh, back in 2018 um, that. Uh, uh, they're talking about how uh, DARPA, you know, they, they were working with the Department of Defense and how DARPA was going to develop um, uh, viruses, super viruses, super bacteria, and all of these things, uh, you know, like working specifically with something like Corona, you know, like these viruses and make them the most uh, virile of all time because they were afraid the Russians would do it first, you know. And so there's that kind of thinking, mm. but they developed these destructive things or these other things. Um, uh, so that uh, they're ready if the Russians said that was, you know, specifically uh, with the viruses, it was so that the Russians or Chinese ever laid out a, a virus, uh, they would have a vaccine ready, you know, that right, kind of thing. Right. Um, and that's where the other thing came in, the P3. Um, uh, but, you know, there's the, the thinking, if so, the thinking is military, but it, it's kind of, it's kind of kooky, you know, they develop things that um, a reckless in a sense, you know, for instance, uh, we're running out of fresh water in the cities, you know, and uh, all around the world, you know, we're getting into less and less water that's potable uh, because of the way we live and because of, you know, the destruction of our water basins with uh, the climate change issues we're having, all of that stuff. And 
So their idea would be is, is to come up with a machine that extracts the water out of the atmosphere, you know, so with this, these atmospheric experiments. And it, it sounds great, like if you're like if just me and you having, you know, a machine out in the backyard or something, you know, we maybe we could even make it so there's lemonade coming out of the sky. But right. it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's not really a tenable thing in terms of a population of 8 billion people. You know, it's not really something you could imagine happening, working properly. There's a lot of that kind of thing where it's, it's, uh, um, you can see gadgets coming out of it that only benefit really a small number of people, you know. And uh, and I think that the, so the danger is the is is the business model itself is uh, it's not giving enough back to the the public. Um, it gets back to this whole idea in America, at least, of uh, the military industrial complex, you know, and its connection with what today is called the deep state, you know, um, and the deep state. Uh, does things that it really all the deep state is is a continuing government, no matter who's in office, Republican or Democrats or whatever, yeah. you know, whoever's in whoever's in office, it doesn't really matter. This this functions, uh, continues function, DARPA continues functioning and military continues doing whatever it does, but, you know, um, has a separate parallel kind of governance that has become more prevalent than democracy. You know, there's a danger that democracy itself is irrelevant now. And all the people feel that way anyway, like Noam Chomsky thinks that, you know, democracy's over, you know, it's yeah. we're now into survival mode, you know, and uh, um, so that's the problem is that it's not, you know, there's like pie in the sky stuff, uh, you know, that I'm talking about geoengineering. I don't know if you talk about that very much, but it's, you know, it's on the list. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's on the, I mean, that's, that all of that sounds good, but, you know, when you start talking about having private companies like Jeff Bezos bringing spaceships up there to block out the sun's rays mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that has to be discussed at the un you know because it affects everybody you know? it's yeah. not the kind of thing where you can just let somebody do that and it seems to be that's what they're doing they're already building spacecraft that would allow some of these people to, to see things in the atmosphere that would mm -hmm. you know have enormous ramifications for a planet you know and may or may not succeed mm -hmm. if it doesn't succeed it could be you know horrific you know but um and they just need to be talked about this so there's not a lot of you know, the public seems to be uh, more and more sidetracked. We're just sort of, uh, uh, we're becoming more and more, you know, consumers rather than uh, um, citizens, you know, of, of, of governance where we can participate in it. Mm -hmm. We just be, you know, it's more like the, the world's become a mall that we can choose things out. But, uh, and even though we say more and more online than we've ever said before, there are more and more writers than ever before, um, we don't really have as much say in the governance, you know, we're not really... And that, that seems that, you know, everything would have to change, you know, that uh, um, we'd have to sort of get back to democracy being not just uh, uh, dialectics, but also uh, telling people, you know, telling our representatives where the money that the taxes that are taken out of our pockets are going, you know, the allocation of funds mm -hmm. uh, is very important to a democracy that's in a capitalistic environment. Um, and that's not happening a lot. A lot of money is getting sidetracked to, you know, like, for instance, like in the U.S., uh, more than half the budget, you know, is, is goes to uh, you know to the Pentagon. You know, that's yeah. that's insane. You know, it's really yeah. uh, um, so. Uh, so the, the the technology is one thing, but also it's who's in control of it, and what kind of access we're all going to have on an equitable level. You know, whether we even care anymore about you know human rights on a global level, or if we care about uh, certain principles. Do we still care about them, or have we really sort of I got over the edge in terms of uh, how we can control them and rein it in. Do we have mm -hmm. the facility to do it? I don't know. It's not looking good at the moment, um, uh, but maybe you know, maybe it'll come around. So, so what's the solution, John? What's the uh, what's the 
the magic trick in order to make this happen is ai with its potential nuance um gonna enable people to understand things at uh, maybe a, a deeper level or uh, do we need some sort of like large inter uh, international body like the un a functional un uh, to mm -hmm. make this happen uh, do you have a do you have well, a perspective ideally, on this yeah. yeah ideally a functional un would be best uh, you know we've tried and tried we tried after world war one we came up with the league of nations we immediately you know, put up our finger to that, you know, and then we, you know, after World War II, we saw, well, we really, really, after World, you know, after the bomb went off, and well, now we really need, uh, you know, a, a body that's going to, you know, include everybody and discuss these important, you know, nah, nobody cares, you know, the U.S. doesn't even pay its dues, you know, for Christ's sake, you know, they, um, uh, so it's it's become a case where it's one more, you know, the Security Council. Is it, do I think AI, uh, the singularity is a good thing? Yes, I do. I think it's a great thing. I think it's fantastic. It's just that I mean, I'm all for it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm all for this idea of, uh, of evolving, you know, and evolving can take all kinds of, you know, avenues. And I think we just need to figure out who's in charge and uh, the kinds of things we want to do with it, what kind of enhancements we want to have, you know, can it help education? Can it help everyone get an equal education? Can it help us get jobs that are equitable and, what kind of jobs, you know, are we going to lose all these, you know, all this information? And, uh, you know, the, you know, we're talking about losing journalism, you know, like uh, the, the AIs will totally uh, get rid of journalism altogether to make it irrelevant, you know, mm. and, um, you know, stuff like that. We need to talk about these things, you know, as human beings, before, while we're still human beings. Uh, and then we can go forward, you know, we can, there's no hurry. I don't see why there'd be a hurry other than trying to save the planet. That, there's a hurry there, but... Uh, and, you know, uh, as Chomsky would say, you know, if we don't solve the climate change, we don't solve, you know, get rid of the nuclear weapons uh, real soon. Uh, uh, you know, we may we may make a mistake and with AIs, like with the nuclear weapons, uh, and that'll be it. It would be totally irrelevant. He already thinks he's already sounding like he thinks that uh, democracy is finished. You know, we won't be saying that for a while uh, again. And uh, and that we're just, you know, it's just sort of uh, uh, papering over things. But. I'm personally positively enthusiastic about um, AIs and uh, and the you know the quantum future ahead. I, I think it could be totally almost you know to live in this age is you know I feel privileged you know to sort yeah. of gone from the you know I'm an old guy in a sense but I've been gone from the Hank Williams days uh, you know Hank Williams days to uh, you know the edge of quantum computing and you know and, and panpsychism and other thing you could talk about, you know, is yeah. panpsychism. Uh, uh, it's a growing philosophy. Um, and uh, it's just that it's the usual things, you know, like it, sometimes I feel like it's a wax religious a little bit that, uh, you know, we sort of lost track of Cain after we exiled him, after he bebopped uh, Abel, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that he had to go live with the animals and that that all that they, they that Cain grew up and, and sort of uh, we've got these animalistic types of people, you know, that are out there who are just you know psychotic and they're psychopathic or they're sort of ultra right wing where they you know they're just full of destruction you know they, they don't really care about humans on a regular level and they laugh at us and uh and and we lefties are totally uh in the dark about that and that there are people who just live for violence and and whether we have to sort of just come to grips with that you know and figure out some way of stopping that because it's the violence against each other it's causing all these problems and it's getting worse and worse because if we get 8 billion people and, and, you know, it's probably too many people in terms of not, that's not that it's not sustainable, but it is, but 
um, in terms of governance, you know, it might be a problem. You know, I think it's really difficult to sort of imagine how we can keep all that under control. But um, mm -hmm. and when things get really bad, like when the floods come, you know, from the melting caps and we start getting all these crazy storms, and uh, you know, then it, you know, we're going to have a real problem with governance. So, um, so I, but overall positive, yes, I'm totally positive about uh, AI. I think it's a fantastic thing, you know, and I'm, I'm totally. Uh, it's almost miraculous that we can manipulate electricity the way we do and yeah. that it means so much in our lives, you know, that, uh, that it's like an extension of our consciousness, human consciousness, you know, that we have these sig the signaling going on and it can communicate. Chemical signals can become electrical signals uh, that can communicate, uh, you know, around the world to each other. It's just, you know, something unbelievable. You know, it's really hard to get your head around, so to, so to speak. Wow. You? What about you? Are you sort of positive about the whole thing? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm undecided yet, right? So uh, I want to be completely for it. I want, uh, because I want it to be a positive thing. I, I obviously do see a lot of the, the positive aspects to it, but yeah. um, I'm just trying to to accumulate or to digest as much information as possible before I make a solid uh, pro or or uh, yay or nay response to it. Uh, right. I, I, think, I think that from what I see, yes, there is a substantial benefit that could be brought about to millions if not billions of people on the planet but um you know with with ideas of you know darpa's involvement for specific military um uses of these types of technologies to uh, and I, I know we didn't touch on it too much but like some of the technological problems of tech of like bci right uh, i think even you wrote like the migrating um electrodes that are you know implanted in somebody's brain and they can move around or you know an overheating uh apparatus if you know the Neuralink, they have something on the side of them uh, on the side of the ear you know that could be overheating mm -hmm. so there's like technological problems that would bring about health like significant health concerns um mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm on the fence for now uh we'll we'll see what happens over the next 10 years maybe i'll maybe i'll shift my mind. yeah 10 years it's a lot of time it's yeah yeah time. maybe one year is uh, is more <laughs> realistic <laughs> Imagine AI in ten years. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, hard hard to imagine that far ahead. Um, okay, so maybe maybe then to to summarize, you're hopeful about it, but there's certain you know challenges, uh, roadblocks, and hurdles that need to be overcome. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you've outlined some of those uh, very clearly. Um, I I want to be mindful of your time here, John. Um, Maybe we can end the conversation here. Uh, maybe definitely have you back on at some point in the future to talk maybe a little bit more about these you know, terms that I'm not, I'll have to look into like uh, pan psychism, is it? Pan psychism, yeah. Pan psychism, well, yeah. Yeah, just you, you're familiar with, um, you know, um, pantheism, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's just take the, the God out of it, put the mind in it. You know, so it's basically, pan okay. so like mind is in everything. Uh, right. God is in everything. That's basically the quickest way to that, but. Yeah, so that's a growing thing. You know, that's that's uh, actually relevant to all of this. And some, lots of cosmologists are, are, are sort of, or panpsychists. You know, can bring some of that stuff in at some point if you want. But awesome. And it's connected. It's also connected to this whole. You know, we can talk about the integrated uh, information theory and you know stuff that how the how the internet become could become you know, a mind that uh, mm -hmm. replaces our own individual consciousness, so that none of us are individuals anymore, but we're just part of the internet. We belong to the internet. So that's a that kind of a danger that some people are worried about, but you know. But anyway, yeah, I'd be happy to come back on again at some other point, and uh, 
and I look forward to it. But like right. I said, maybe we can uh, get together and uh, I could send some questions to you, or we could have a similar kind of thing yep. that, so that we could broadcast it onto the, uh, the internet site where. Yeah, ha ha happy to do so. Um, okay. but, but before you, before you take off, where would you like people to follow you? Uh, I know that you're a, a regular contributor to maybe a couple of different, um, articles, uh, magazines online. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch, uh, ask you questions or just follow your work in general? Don't ask me questions. Uh, um, you can ask me through, uh, my, I guess my Twitter account. Um, okay. uh, that might be best. I could send that in the, the bio that you want, right? So. Yep, yep, yep. I'll put that in. Great. Okay, well, um, thanks a lot, John. I think uh, a significant amount of ideas that need to be kind of stewed on, uh, thought about a little bit further. Um, and yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch for the... Um, for the future discussions and kind of future collaboration. Right. So You're in Vancouver, right? So you you might want to check out that company Epsellera. Yeah, I, um, I I made a note Epsellera. Okay. Yeah, A B Cellera, C E L L E R A. Um, it's an interesting relationship that should should be looked into. It's interesting uh, that they were the first one to develop a Canadian company. Yeah. Actually, developed the first solution for their global, you know, monoclonal. That's good. Yeah. You know, it's uh, so anyway. Yep. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on, and uh, uh, we'll talk. We'll do. We'll communicate later. Terrific. Thanks a lot, John. Take care. Cheers. Well, thanks for listening to this week's Future Tech and Foresight podcast. If you like what you've heard here, there are, of course, a number of ways that you can support the podcast. The best way would be to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or give a rating on Spotify, which you can find a step-by-step -step explanation for on the futuretechandforesight.com website. Alternatively, feel free to leave a comment either on the episode show notes or the YouTube channel where you can see video recordings of the interviews. And finally, if you are part of an organization that is aware of the disruptive and transformational impact that emerging and future technologies will bring and want to know more, please get in touch to hear about the strategic foresight services that we offer and how we can help future-proof your organization and take advantage of the phenomenal opportunities available to survive and thrive in the future. A lot of future-shocked people and future-shocked institutions in our society are simply overwhelmed. Once there is superintelligence, the fate of humanity may depend on what the superintelligence does. Science fact is catching up to science fiction. The first truly intelligent machine will be the last invention that humanity needs to make. The only scarcity that will exist in the future is that which we decide to create ourselves as humans. Within a 10-year design revolution, we can have all humanity living the highest and living anybody's ever known. Progress is uh, accelerating at an exponential pace and it's going to reach a point where progress is so fast it's going to be a singularity. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Every single headline points to the birth pangs of a type 1 civilization.